Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. And be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Peter by looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience." through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. As Peter is writing this section of his letter, remember that he's writing to a group of people that he has called aliens and strangers, and he's told them that they should submit to the earthly institutions as long as they were away from home. Why has Peter made such a point about this submission, especially submission to people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In this section, he's going on to say that that submission may cause you suffering and pain. People may take advantage of you. Why does Peter want us to submit then to these people? We talked about what submission was and how Peter's describing it in the last episode, but in this section of Scripture, he lets them know that he's wanting them to do this because he wants them to experience what is good. He quotes Psalm 34, starting in verse 12, and he says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, 
will do as he says, basically. He goes on to expound on that passage and to explain what it looks like in the lives of an everyday Christian in the first century. Peter had said in the previous section that we looked at that submission was a gracious thing, and that extending grace in the section before that was a holy thing, that holiness and extending grace and being submissive to others or yielding your will to others is something that God has called us to. Submission is actually living out what God has called us to be. Remember what he said in verse 9, we are called to be a blessing, and in doing so, we will be blessed. You might remember what Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are called to be those peacemakers. In verse 11 of our section today, Peter is quoting King David in the Psalms and says, let him seek peace and pursue it. Be at peace and and chase after it. Chase after peace. Make sure you're doing everything you can to live at peace. Kind of continuing the thought from our last episode, submission makes us uneasy. We don't like being told that we have to yield our will to someone else's. We don't like the idea of other people telling us what to do. But as we're seeing in Peter's letter here. Submission is not as much about doing what someone tells me to do as it is not demanding that others obey me. I I don't have to see submission as blind obedience to other people. What submission is, is I don't demand that you obey me. I don't demand that I get my way. If you are going to do something different than I would, if you choose to live contrary to the will of God, you have that right. There are consequences and they're between you and God, but I'm going to step out of the way and let you move on through so that I can continue on my path toward God. Another aspect of this submission idea is we're afraid that we're going to end up having to suffer if we submit to others. If we let others do what they want to, they may take advantage of us and and hurt us in some way. Peter reminds his readers that in life, you're going to suffer. There are always going to be hardships and trials. He tells his readers, since you're going to suffer anyway, make sure you suffer for doing good. As Peter is making his points about the possibility of suffering in their lives, he reminds them of five things that they should know while living in hostile territory. The first thing he mentions is we should absolutely know what we believe. In verse 15, he said, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Other translations rearrange the words in that phrase a little bit. Some say, set aside Christ as Lord. But in every case, this idea of having Christ in our heart and knowing what we believe about him is important, having that treasured and cherished in our hearts. But he goes on to say, make sure you don't just know what you believe, make sure you know why you believe it. A lot of us have been told about Jesus, and we assume that that's the thing we should confess. That's the thing that we should hold on to. But not many of us have taken time to decide for ourselves why we believe that. But Peter says that you should always be prepared 
to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you. You claim you have hope. You claim that your hope is in Jesus. Why is your hope in Jesus? And I think it's important here that we need more than just because the Bible says so. If Christ is in our heart, there should be work going on that we can testify about in our own lives. We can talk about what we see in Scripture, but until we can draw parallels between those passages and what's happening in our lives, until we can explain to people that the reason we have hope is because the experiences we've had with a risen Savior, we may have difficulty reasoning with people. If you remember those early apostles, the first thing they did is said, hey, we saw this guy and we ate with him and we talked to him. We know that he's alive. Since he's alive, all of these other things are true. We need to make sure if we believe that Jesus is a risen Savior, that we know why we believe that, that we can point to the experiences in our lives, that we can point to the transformations he's made, that we can talk about who we were before Christ and now who we are after Christ. Because very often someone can argue with you about the way you read a text, the way you understand it, what you got out of it. But they can never argue with a transformed life. Why do you believe what you believe? Can you communicate that to others? If you can, Peter takes another step and says, you need to know how to communicate it without arguing. The translation I read says, to be able to do it with gentleness and respect. And this word gentleness here doesn't mean that you hem and haw and you're kind of mealy-mouth about the, uh, the discussion. It means that you're not vindictive with the discussion. You're not trying to set them straight or make sure they know you're right. You're presenting why you believe and giving it to them to think about. You're planting a seed, as it were. Peter says you have to be able to communicate why you have hope with gentleness and respect. Peter also says something here that can be kind of controversial in some religious groups. Peter says you need to know that baptism saves you. For many of us, our very first thought on hearing that is going, wait, I thought Jesus saved us. I thought Jesus' work on the cross was the only thing that we needed, and he did the work. Yes, absolutely, Jesus does the work. So when Peter says baptism saves us, what does he mean? He means it in the same way that water saved Noah. God had shown Noah what he needed to do, the path he needed to take, the instructions he needed to follow to be rescued when the time came, when judgment was passed. God did the same thing with Israel the night of the first Passover. He gave them instructions, things that they should do so that when judgment was passed, they would be in right standing with him and not experience the wrath of God. In neither of those stories were the people responsible for rescuing themselves. God is the one that protected. God is the one that saved. God is the one that did it. But he asked each of those people to follow some very basic instructions. And when they followed those instructions, they were given an opportunity to be rescued. 
It would be very much like uh, me being in a boat that capsized and the Coast Guard coming out and throwing out a life preserver and telling me to hang on to it. The Coast Guard is the one that is rescuing me. But if I don't hang on to the life preserver, if I don't follow their instructions, I may not make it back in the boat. And so as Peter describes baptism, he makes sure right off the bat that you understand this is not about getting wet. There is nothing magic about the water or the pool that you choose to get baptized in or whether it's a river or a lake or any of those things. That is not the point. The point is whether or not you will absolutely surrender your will to God's. Are you willing to totally surrender? Are you willing to submit? Baptism is an act of humble submission where we come to God with no ulterior motives. We're not coming to God in some transactional way where we say, if I get baptized, God, you have to save me. We're coming to God and surrendering to him, being wholly submissive to him, because we know that he's the only one that can rescue us. And so if he says, go through the water, we go through the water. Now, it is rich with symbolism. It takes us back to Israel passing through the Red Sea. It takes us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When you put what Peter says here with what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, what we basically see is this baptismal ritual is a funeral service for the old person, and they are buried, and God raises up someone brand new for his purposes, that he promises to transform and to shape and to mold into the person that he always intended them to be. And the fifth thing that Peter mentions here that we absolutely need to know is that Jesus is in control. I do know some people who are anticipating some future kingdom from Jesus. But what scripture says is that Jesus is king now. He has gone into heaven. He's sitting on the throne at the right hand of God. And angels, authorities, and powers have been put in subjection to him. Angels are the heavenly beings. Authorities and powers are earthly uh, presences and beings and organizations and establishments and institutions that have been set up that exercise control over people. And we're told that Jesus has authority over them all, that Jesus is king of all of that. Peter says that Jesus came to earth and went through all of that suffering. He made it through and did it in a way in which God was pleased and God elevated him to that place on the throne. And Peter reminds us that if Jesus can make it through it, he can bring us through it as well. So when we think about our need to be rescued by Jesus and our need to wholly submit to him, we do well to hear these words of Peter, to set apart Christ as king in our hearts. As many of us put trust in Jesus to bring us through it, there are others who don't submit to the authority of Jesus. But just because they don't submit to his authority does not mean that he's not in charge. I think oftentimes about uh, driving down the interstate and how the state has authority to post a speed limit and they have the authority to enforce it and put penalties on those who break the speed limit. But very often people speed anyway. And maybe 
they don't experience consequences immediately and they think that it's okay. And so they keep speeding. But that doesn't mean that the state is not in control of that or has authority over that. It just means that those drivers aren't submitting to the will of the state. Scripture over and over again describes the same situation with the world that we live in. More people in the world are following someone else's king. But the ultimate reality is that Christ is sovereign, Jesus is Lord, and we must set him apart in our heart as holy. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.